Welcome to Tax Breaks, the Moody's Tax Podcast, where you find informed discussion, lively debate, and sometimes a little lighthearted fun around tax issues in Canada, the United States, and around the world. Good day. My name is Kim Moody. I'm here with my trusty colleague, Kenneth Kyle. Hey, Kenneth. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. It's Friday. Yeah, it's Friday and last weekend of Stampede, Calgary Stampede, because we're recording this from our, our uh, home in Calgary, Alberta, and of course, uh, huge, huge uh, activity with the Calgary Stampede this year. It's nice to see the community spirit, but you know, with all this community spirit, <laughs> Kenneth, our topic today is, you know, what we see a lot of in our office, which is kind of sad a little bit because we're both, uh, I'll speak for myself, I'm a very proud Canadian, I think you are too, but I won't put words in your mouth and and uh, you know we see a lot of people leaving Canada. Yeah, especially to the U.S. Right. Yeah. And so, so today we're going to talk about you know the reasons why. Uh, what are some of the non-tax considerations that you have to consider when you're moving to the U.S.? What are the tax considerations, which of mm-hmm. course is our expertise, and you know what does life look like after? So, with without further ado, you know, kind of already said a little bit of this, Kenneth, but we are seeing a lot of activity. And what do you, th- you know, what do you think the reasons are that we're seeing some of some of this big, big increase in activity? And before you answer, I've mentioned this anecdotally uh, over the years a lot, especially the last five years. You know, in the first, say, twenty five years of my practice, I probably had a dozen departure files. You know, people leaving Canada, mostly to the United States, mostly older people who wanted to retire in a warmer climate. Not a lot of tax reasons, um, but in the last four or five years, and especially the last three years, holy cow, um, I would say hundreds of cases that we've mm-hmm. seen. Yes. Is that consistent with, uh, people think I exaggerate when I lecture on this. Kenneth, tell the audience, am I exaggerating? No, you're not. Like We may not, we may not do a hundred all hundred of these files we, uh, we, we come across and people wanting help on. Because, no, we don't close um, every single one. That's right. Yeah. But, uh, but, but yes, uh, we probably have hundreds of people who, are in, who have talked to us interested in moving abroad. Right. And it's, it's sad. And, and what are some of the reasons that people talk to you? And let's see if it's, it's consistent with my mm-hmm. reasons why. Like, why are they interested in moving to, to the United States or abroad for that, for that I matter? Think I think... A couple of major categories. One you already mentioned, which is uh, people re- re- wanting to retire uh, south, either because of weather or because their children and grandchildren are already working in the U.S. Uh, so that's a major one. And the second one, um, as younger people um, wanting to, there's just more work opportunities, more career opportunities in the U.S., uh, but for the files we handle, is, which is mostly private businesses, the business opportunities are just better. Better, broader, bigger in the U.S. And even if they are keeping their, maintaining the Canadian business, they see the growth in the U.S. and abroad sometimes. And they need to be there in the U.S. or abroad to start and manage their, 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 their business expansion in the U.S., and then the third category is people just just want to leave Canada for ideological reasons, which Kim, you probably talked to a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> Given my reputation, well, the I would add to that, Kenneth, that uh, there's 
and maybe this is what you're talking about with the ideological, there's been a lot of um, people that I've talked to and that are scared about the political environment and scared about massive deficits and how are we going to get out of these, um, you know, this, this economic mess that we're in. In Alberta, our, our economy is actually very, very strong, but on the whole, you know, Canada's productivity and GDP is really, really dropping. And it's, it's scary, actually. And, um, and so, you know, some of these people, a lot of the people, actually, that are, you know, that fit into this camp that I talk to, just don't see a logical way out. They think that tax increases and wealth taxes um, are on the way and, and entrenched socialism. And so, so with that, you know, they're saying, just find me a way to get the hell out. And I would say that camp is decent size, but it certainly is not pervasive. But it certainly has triggered a lot of questions. And I'm sure some have, uh, some have talked to you about that as well, would be my guess. So. Yeah. And, 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 and we, I have probably dozens of cases where people just... I have um, people who invested in U.S. businesses. just talked to one uh, yesterday who who is practically forced to leave because Canada can't deal with the US LLC regime. And this is very common. Yeah, it and is. And they, they can't change the business structure uh, in the US business, I say because the person is a minority uh, owner. Right. Uh, and the tax is so, the, the, the global tax result is so unfriendly that it, even if the person don't want, don't want to move to the US, they had to for tax. It was just too expensive so not to. So this is one of the rare cases where the tax tail indeed wags the, the tail of the dog. Yeah, but it's, it hasn't become that rare lately. Um, I've seen multiple cases where people where that was. Yeah, that's disappointing case. as hell. Uh, but so I think we've kind of covered that landscape. Lots of reasons why economic, you know, business expansion and like you just ideological and and it, it's it's amazing to me to see the increase later on in my career on this on this subject um so kenneth let's let's move on when we talk to these clients and and prospects about wanting to leave and mostly go to the united states normally what we start off with is okay let's think about what are the non-tax considerations Mm -hmm. And, and kenneth what's absolutely number one consideration that we have to consider for for people and we'll just we'll just pick on the United States because about ninety five percent of our files deal with the United States. So, what is the number one issue that we have to consider from a non tax perspective? Not being snowed in anymore. <laughs> no, no, immigration, of course. Yeah, are you are you actually legally allowed to stay in the U.S. Oh, for absolutely. The time you want to, and immigration is a huge issue. Um, a lot of people think it's tax. No, it's immigration. And in our firm, thankfully, we have a, a great leader, Oliver Branch, who is a U.S. Uh, immigration lawyer and and uh, leads our immigration practice. And so we all often go to, uh, to Oliver and say, okay, here's our facts. Here's the objectives. Oliver, what's your suggestion? And from there, once we get the suggestion, uh, then we start thinking about tax. It's not the other way around, right, Kenneth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we could speak today about all the alphabet soup <laughs> of different types of visas, and uh, but 
we're Canadian tax people and we're not immigration experts, so I don't think we'll go down that path. But mm -hmm. suffice it to say that there's a, a lot of different options and, and you do need to uh, very carefully consider those with proper counsel. So anything more to say on that, Kenneth, before mm -hmm. we move on? And I would say that uh, before going, so everyone think about the green, thing of the green card, before going down that path, understand that getting a green card likely means you do have to report as a U.S. tax resident. Uh, and that has various implications. And often, if you're able to, getting a different type of uh, visas, temporary visas, may yield a much better result uh, from a tax perspective, but yet still achieve your objective of being living in the U.S. permanently. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's dive into tax, Kenneth. Mm -hmm. Very difficult topic, obviously, and, but that's, this is our area of expertise, and especially you. Mm -hmm. Smartest tax guy in Canada, as I always tell people. So what is the primary consideration that we need to think about when a person decides, okay, I want to move to the U.S., I've got the immigration all figured out because I've talked to Oliver Branch or some other council, and it's in the works. Kenneth... I want to move. Mm -hmm. So what, so now it's in our court to, to give some tax advice. What do we, what's the number one consideration, Kenneth? I think step one is always, the, um, do you want to depart Canada for tax purposes? And if so, how? Okay, so, what, so let's take it back to basic principles. How does Canada tax? Canada tax, tax, is, ta tax is resident for tax purposes on a worldwide basis. But is there a definition of resident in the Income Tax Act? There is, but the, the definition of being a resident in Canada means you have ordinarily reside in Canada. <laughs> Which, <laughs> so, not, so basically, there's no definition of residency. Yeah. Except for statutory deemed. Yeah, right? in, in, in some cases, like a, the 183-day rule. In some cases. So if you're in Canada for 183 days or more... As a, as a visitor. As a visitor, you're deemed resident of Canada for the entire year, regardless mm -hmm. of anything else yeah but if we're talking about someone who is living in Canada already and looking to move somewhere else that rule doesn't apply right and the, it is the so that it is a common law test developed by the courts that look at um, your ties do you have do you have substantial Canadian residential ties that, right. that indicate that you are actually residing in Canada so, so they look scary. at primary mm -hmm. ties, they look at secondary. The primary is where, where are you, where are your dependents, where's your economic interest? Where's your home? Where's yeah. your home? Mm -hmm. And then the secondary, <laughs> lots of mythology in the secondary ties. I actually have lots of fun with people that think the secondary ties are uh, you know, very, very, very important. Mm -hmm. Which, yes, they're important. But as I tell students, they just simply help tell the story. Mm-hmm it doesn't lead the story like the primary factors. So where's your bank accounts? Where's your credit cards? Where's your uh, driver's license? Where's your health care, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so. Now, but now that's the Canadian common law tax, but U.S. is amongst the many countries that have a income tax treaty with Canada. Right. And with that comes a residency tiebreaker test, which makes the test in most cases, much more easier to uh, analyze and apply. Yeah, I would agree. Mm -hmm. I don't think we'll go down that path today, Kenneth, because that can get us down some rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but when you start looking at the tax affairs of a resident of Canada, you know, the, 
And if it's determined that, yeah, they've got the, the appropriate visa in the U.S. Um, on, the, on the way, at least, anyhow, they're in process. And it looks like they will become a non-resident of Canada. For tax purposes. For tax purposes. Then what? What do we need to do? Then there is a leaving Canada for tax is like dying. Yeah. So Canada wants to make sure all economic growth that you have enjoyed while being a Canadian tax resident, they get to tax you on that growth um, in, a, in a form of a capital gain in, in, in most cases. There are some exceptions, like your personally owned, directly owned Canadian real estate. And the reason is because Canada can, can always maintain the right to tax you on Canadian real estate. But outside of that and some other limited exceptions, almost everything you own is subject to a deemed disposition at fair market value on your departure from Canada. Right. You and I have lectured in, on this topic a ton. And we call it the five exceptions. And you've mentioned the obvious first one, which is uh, to the deemed disposition rule, which is Canadian real estate held directly. The other second big exception is... Um, Register plans like mm -hmm. RSPs, TFSAs, RIFs, um, RESPs, things like that. But from uh, but from there, you really do need to look at the law very carefully with the facts that are in front of you, and analyze it for the clients, and de and determine what is their exposure and is there any way that we can minimize the exposure. Um, so a lot of your time is spent on this, mm -hmm. correct? Yes. And in many cases. I would say probably what, just pick a number, uh, 10, 20% of the cases, it's a pretty nasty result. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because people, some, some who have done really well uh, in, Canada, in Canada, especially if they have a, if they own a business that they, they have found, that business could be worth a lot of money and their cost base in this business is very low. So yeah. that entire thing is a capital, that entire value is a capital gain, which uh, if they have to pay it immediately, suddenly, that's a, uh, a um, impractical cash flow drain. Strength, yeah. that is. Now, thankfully, there's some options available for that where they can put up security. And it, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. And in some cases, you're going to have the CRA as your partner for a while mm -hmm. <laughs> if the security is accepted. So we try to avoid that if we can. Uh, but it's it, it's... You know, in some cases, 10, 20% of it's pretty nasty. In many, many cases, the exposure is just, it's manageable mm -hmm. or it's negligible. Like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm working on a file right now where it's pretty negligible. Um, but in the cases where, uh, you know, the, it's, it's very, very mm -hmm. high, you know, are there ways, easy ways uh, to avoid uh, departure tax? Uh, there's no easy way to avoid departure tax. There are certain really aggressive tax plans out there that could reduce or even eliminate departure tax, but um, we won't talk about that today. No. Uh, and there are risks, a lot of risks attached to those. I think a lot of those aggressive plans, without getting into the details, involve either shifting assets to other people or valuation shifts. Uh, and you and I have talked about this publicly many, many times over the years. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. 
uh, so are there some 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 plans out there that minimize risk yeah but but I do agree with you that there's just not a ton out there because it's like you're dying like you've already said mm-hmm. I will say one thing uh, Kenneth and you might be a little bit uh, too young to remember these plans but you know when I first started doing departure tax one of the plans one of the f- easy things that we would do is we would look at transferring assets from one spouse to the other spouse but in trust form like a spousal trust mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you can do that on a rollover basis so mm-hmm. we would transfer all these assets into a spousal trust and then we would make sure that the trustees were resident of Canada and continue to hold those assets and then we would depart Canada um, and so those assets of course can be rolled into a spousal trust and, and the law still does provide for that under section 73 of the act however in the early 2000s the uh, government was not amused with those kinds of plans and they introduced a rule under 104 a.3 of the act so for there, if there's any tax geeks listening that's paragraph 104 bracket 4 bracket a.3 of the act which basically denies the rollover so it triggers a gain if you're doing that plan in contemplation of leaving Canada and so very clever rule mm-hmm. and I tripped across that um, you know somebody had pitched a plan to a client uh, recently and completely ignored that rule so thankfully we were able to to say yeah that that just probably doesn't work so Mm-hmm. So with that, Kenneth, what else do we need to think about? We got the deemed disposition. Yeah. We try to manage it. It's hard to do in many cases. But now they're in the United States. Uh, what are we? What are we trying to? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we got to consider in some cases? Now, the one surprise people find surprising is that when you when you move to the United States, there are no automatic step up in your tax basis of your global assets. So although you have you may have paid capital gains tax at fair market value of all your global assets when you depart Canada, your tax basis by default is still your original cost base for U.S. tax purposes. So it could lead to double tax down the road when assets are liquidated. But but there are there there is a way around that, and the treaty Article Thirteen, Paragraph Seven do provide for a election where you could be where you could self-elect to have disposed of the property at fair market value for US tax purposes right before you you walk into the US and that creates a a um, fair market value tax basis for the US purposes thus resulting in no double tax down the road on liquidation okay so and, let, let, let's mm-hmm. put that in perspective Kenneth just by way of a simple example because so let's say I'm the one that's leaving Canada and let's say I've got a bunch of Apple stock. And the only reason I'm picking Apple is because, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's one of my favorite companies, but, and let's say I've got a million dollar pregnant gain. And so, so I leave Canada mm-hmm. and I trigger a departure tax on a million dollars of, of capital gains. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that when I'm in the United States, that if I don't do anything proactive, that if I turn around and sell that Apple stock, you right? pay that same you one million capital gain on your U.S. tax return. Okay, that's total bullshit. Mm. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, uh, I guess it's our podcast. We're allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's that's a simple example 
of how I'm going to pay capital gains tax in the U.S. again because the cost base of of that property, Apple stock, is not doesn't include the million dollar departure gain that I had for Canadian purposes. So what do I need to do then, Kenneth? You need to file a this election under the treaty. I think with the first first time you file your U.S. tax return, um, so so that you are deemed to have disposed of your Apple stock right before you became U.S. tax resident uh, for for the one million. For, for fair market value. And because at that time, you are not a U.S. tax resident yet, you are not taxed in the U.S. on your global, uh, on your worldwide income. So U.S. is not going to tax that disposition, but for U.S. purposes, they 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 pretend as, as if you acquired the Apple stock at today's fair market value. So, That's giving you so a, it's critical then to file that, that Article 13, Paragraph 7 election. Yes. So, no, but there are complications. Like depends on the assets. Like for example, if it's a U.S. if a piece if it's a piece of U.S. real estate you're doing this election on, U.S. real estate, even though you may be um, not a U.S. tax resident, you will be paying U.S. tax on a deemed disposition gain on a U.S. real estate. Right. So there is some, some complicated planning there, especially if if you decided to do um, uh, post security to de- to defer your Canadian. Right. on departure. So it's not an automatic, you got to think about it, but it's very, very critically important. Mm-hmm. What else is really important, Kenneth? Yeah. Another thing is um, if, if the person has have some wealth and some investments, it's important to examine the, um, that, that person's holdings to make sure what they hold is not very treat, treated very badly for U.S. tax uh, pay, uh, tax obligation and tax reporting purposes. And what I mean uh, is investments like PFIC investments. And what are PFICs? PFICs, um, in general terms, we are not U.S. tax specialists, but things like, for example, uh, Canadian mutual fund trusts, Canadian REITs, uh, even Canadian ETF. They're basically, things that are not U.S., and that's not just a straight stock or a straight bond, it's most likely a PFIC. And if it's a PFIC, it comes with... Um, horrendous uh, U.S. tax reporting obligations, potentially, and um, uh, taxation results, which we we're not going to go through, but uh, bad, bad tax results for U.S. purposes. So we often re- uh, recommend clients to clean up their investment their portfolio before going to the U.S. to get rid of things, anything that are PFIC. And also, um, registered plan like TFSA and RESP, those are great plans for Canadians. Uh, but they don't get the same sim- similar tax uh, tax deferred result for U.S. purposes, but they come with onerous reporting obligations. Because from a U.S. perspective, they treat everyone who have offshore structures as tax cheats, basically. Right. And they make you do a lot of disclosure with very large penalties if you fail to comply in a timely manner. So things like TFSA and RESP may be best to unwind before you move to the U.S., so clean up your structure or yes. clean up your holdings to, to minimize reportings and possible penalties is mm-hmm. basically. Okay, great. All right. Well, last but not least, you know, we've, so now we've, you know, we've uh, dealt with the client's immigration matters. They're in the United, or sorry, they can be in the United States. We've looked at their tax affairs. We've looked at what their departure tax holdings are. Uh, we've looked at, you know, their 
cost base issues in the U.S. to make sure they're not double taxed on a future disposition of holdings. We've cleaned up some of their holdings, like you said, or at least made recommendations, uh, like getting rid of TFSAs, for example. Um, what's the kind of the last step that we look at, Kenneth, in, before we, mm-hmm. you know, close our file? Uh, well, we we could provide some uh, modeling and advice on what. Ta- your tax life look like after you become a U.S. tax resident. So um, basically, mm-hmm. we we put on our our uh, we look into the crystal ball and say, okay, do you have any future Canadian tax exposure? Do you, are you going to have any Canadian source income? Because many of them won't, mm-hmm. right? And if they don't, then their affairs are probably a lot simpler than uh, than the person who's going to hang on to Canadian source income. Yeah. Like, for example, if they continue to hold Canadian private corporation shares that are going to receive dividends and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Correct? Yeah. yeah. Or Canadian real estate. Canadian real estate, Canadian rental income, et cetera, mm-hmm. right? So, yeah. so what are some of the things that we do with that, Kenneth? We, do we model it out? Or, yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. We would, uh, so for example, if you, have Cana- if you will continue to have Canadian rental income, because let's say you converted your Canadian home to a um, rental property, which, by the way, is a disposition deemed disposition event when you convert your home to um, a rental property. Section forty five of the Act. Which, but, but that game maybe you are entitled to the principal resident exemption on to to, right. to claim against. But anyways, um, that if you have Canadian source rental income, there is Canadian withholding requirement you have to comply with. And you have to keep filing Canadian tax return going forward to just report that Canadian rental income. Um, it's more complicated than this, uh, but that's the general thing you have to keep in mind. And it, when you sell the Canadian real estate in the future, there's certain very important Canadian disclosure and reporting requirement you must comply with on a sale. Okay. All right, so we've done the modeling and clients in good hands. So what's next, Kenneth? Well, then we can we can look to what their U.S. tax implications will look like going forward, um, depending on which state they're moving to. And now, if it's tax wrecking the livestock, then they would choose a, a U.S. state with low or no state income tax. Like Texas or Florida or Nevada, Washington State. Nevada, yeah. yeah. So, so now, now, keep in mind, um, Money has to come from somewhere. So there are some states which may have no no income tax, but that could mean you're paying for it with other things like right. uh, sales tax, like very high healthcare costs or costs or property tax, right? Yeah. But let's just ignore that for now. Yes. Without state income tax, the U.S. federal the highest U.S. federal tax rate is thirty seven percent. Now I know that that is lower than the Canadian top top personal rate in in all provinces. But it still sounds pretty high. But keep in mind, the U.S. Bra- U.S. income brackets are much broader than Canada's. Um, I think in 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 say B.C. I think that you reach the top bracket when you are at about two hundred thousand dollars, roughly. Yeah. Roughly. Whereas in in um in, under U.S. federal rules, you reach the top bracket if you are a single filer, single person filing, then you reach it when you are. 500,000 USD, which is like 700K Canadian yeah, which almost. Is, which is significant. And um, I mean, you get some crazy states like California, which have high personal income rates, mm-hmm. which 
kind of compete with, uh, with, with Canadian rates. But to your point, you won't reach those high rates until much higher levels of income. Yeah. And if you're at that high level of income, there may be planning possible to, yeah. uh, to prevent you from going to the very top rates in the U.S. I think the last thing, Kenneth, that perhaps we should chat about is, you know, they're, they're there. They've, you know, we're going to look at their overall income tax rates. You know, we've departed them from Canada, obviously. Um, should they have their estate planning affairs looked at? And, uh, I think, and I think the obvious answer is yes, right? Because in Canada, we don't have an estate tax. Mm-hmm. I'll test you though, Kenneth. Did we ever have an estate tax in Canada? If you ask me like that, then the answer must be yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you've heard me lecture on this topic before, so that's why I was throwing you a long boy sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as usual. But, um, but yes, Canada did have an estate tax prior to 1972, but we abolished it with 1972 tax reform. But the United States has had an estate tax ever since 1917. And um, now the exemption amount uh, for assets that are subject to these, not subject to the estate tax is pretty high right now. It's just rounding up. It's about 13 million U.S. dollars per person, uh, per, uh, per U.S. citizen, U.S. domicile resident person. Uh, but, and so you, in order to be exposed to the estate tax, you know, you need to have high levels of, of assets. But if you're one of those persons, you better start thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And you better ensure that you're in the hands of a good U.S. Um, wills and uh, trusts an estate attorney yeah. to make sure that they look at your affairs. And, and for some older, older people who are very who have lots of assets, sometimes the best U.S. estate tax planning is is pass is gifting those assets away to their to the next generation before they become a U.S. tax resident. Now, keep in mind that doesn't avoid any of the Canadian capital gains tax on departure because that gift triggers a Canadian capital gain. Are you saying gift them prior to becoming them U.S. resident? prior to become U.S. resident. Right. Then it's outside of the estate when they pass away. Because right. the U.S. estate tax, once you pass the exemption, I think it's 40% of the gross value. It is roughly. And, well, it is 40%. Um, but we have to be careful that if you're doing those gifting strategies while you're a U.S. person, including a U.S. citizen. Yeah, that's why you do it before. Right. Yeah, because there's U.S. gift tax that apply. With no exemption. Yeah. Uh, but if you're in the U.S., um, it can grind your unified credit amount, I believe is what it's called. Uh, effectively, you can grind your $13 million exemption. But you got to be very, very careful and get good legal advice on that uh, before you engage in a, mm-hmm. in a gifting strategy while you're in the U.S. Yeah. So. And on that topic... Uh, well, U.S. estate tax is important, especially if you have a very high net worth. Um, probate planning is actually much more prominent in the U.S. than Canada. Uh, apparently, in many states, their probate process is much more horrible than the ones we experience in Canada. So many people, even those who are not as ultra high net worth space, uh, do uh, set up structures uh, to to purposely avoid probate doesn't save any income tax, but it avoids probate. That's right, currently and we've seen thing. people we've seen people who've purchased U.S. assets while they're Canadian residents employ some of those structures. And I guess my caution, and I'm I'm guessing you'd agree with me, is to be careful with those structures because they don't marry very well uh, with the Canadian tax rules. But 
yeah. but you're absolutely right. Consider those structures when and get proper legal advice where yeah. when you're in the U.S. All right. And as Kim said, those structures just usually don't work with Canadian rules. So it's something to consider if you're going to move back to Canada in the future. You may have to unwind some of those planning. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, Kenneth, we could go on and on and on, but we're over our usual time limit here. So, so I think maybe we'll just summarize it by saying it's a complicated topic. Unfortunately, it's a prevalent topic today about moving to the U.S. Um, but hopefully we've provided some, uh, some good content today uh, about the reasons why we're seeing it, the non-tax considerations to take into account, the tax considerations, and what does your life look like? And then... Last but certainly not least, make sure you consider your estate planning affairs once you're uh, once you're in the U.S.